was Matsur by Leah Moser right here at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. Welcome to our first podcast of Trending Jewish. Actually, it was Matovu. Matovu, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> that's why you're the rabbi. I mean, I'm sure we can that's correct this in post, right? Like, right. That's the thing we can do. <laughs> so that was Matovu by... <laughs> <laughs> way to go, Brian. Thanks for jumping in there. <laughs> Matovu? Matovu. Okay, that was Matovu by Leah Moser right here at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College in Wincote, Pennsylvania. This is Trending Jewish. I'm Rachel Burgess from the RRC Communications Department here with my colleague, Brian Schwartzman. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Brian. <laughs> we don't know if that's going to be a thing. It might be a thing. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We've got... Uh... A Seinfeld shtick going on. What, saying hello to each other? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, heard... I know, right? I mean, who who would have thought? Or you so, mean like the Newman thing? I think it's like the Newman thing. It okay. Wasn't, okay. It wasn't, didn't have enough bite to it to be the Newman right, thing. Right, it needs though. more hate, I feel. More hate, There's like, more hate yeah. that hello, needs to happen. Hello, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> this is our first podcast for Trending Jewish, so we figured that if Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David could make a semi-Jewish show about nothing, we could make a Jewish podcast about everything. Right, and um, we think with our with our with our first guest, we might not be able to talk about everything, but we might we might be able to come pretty close. We are thrilled to have Leah Moser with us as our first guest on the premiere inaugural episode of Trending Jewish. In as of this recording, in in just a little more than a month, uh, 
Leia will graduate from the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College and become a rabbi. Um, Leia is a teacher and student of, of Talmud and, and Kabbalah, a philosopher, a musician specializing in electronica, as, as we've heard, um, also speaks uh, fluent Japanese, and lately has been experimenting with combining her teaching and, and, and love of Judaism with electronic music uh, in, in ways you just heard. Um, I think I, I said before we, we, uh, we went on that it sounded like Judaism from another planet, so, uh, <laughs> which in, in, in a good way. And, and, and recently, Leah actually, um, actually um, led, uh, led morning, uh, morning services here using, uh, using, using some of her uh, equipment and in instruments and, and compositions and, it was a prayer experience like uh, like I've never been part of before. So so welcome uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, for kicking us off. Um, I guess I'll I'll say I I don't have a musical bone in in my body, but if I did, I feel like I would I would dream about bashing a drum kit or or, or shredding a guitar. So how does how <laughs> how does one think about oh I want to um, I want to put sequences and computers together to make music in, in this fashion. Sure. Well, um, thanks, Brian. I, I just want to say also thanks very much for having me on your podcast. This is really exciting to be uh, helping kick this off. Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, okay. So, I think my first real exposure to electronic music was when I was in high school. So before that, um, I think like a lot of kids growing up in the 90s, um, I was very into kind of alternative rock and grunge. And that was kind of my assumption about like what music was. Um, and then I was exposed to a track called Cowgirl by a band called Underworld, um, which is um, off of which is uh, was on the soundtrack of that move, one movie that came out in the 90s, Hackers, it was really hilarious. It says absolutely nothing true about computers, which is wonderful about 90s stuff about computers. Um, but I heard this track um, with its unbelievable layering of natural and unnatural sounds and the manipulation of, of sound as like an actual... Um, as something that you could like reach in and like sculpt and manipulate like clay and um and the repetitive rhythms and the um just the the sheer joyful sonic experimentation of it and i just fell in love with the genre and um and just couldn't get enough of it um so back then um, I had a number of friends and we who shared the same love of electronic music. So we got together and we formed a little musical group uh, where we would get together in one of our one of our apartment in our, one of our you know rooms in you know their home and we would um, and we'd make music. We had like an old like you know 486 like DOS I think computer and we would make tracks uh, using that and we made like a whole tape. Uh, and we would pass it out to our friends, and and that was and that was a lot of fun. And so um, my interest really kind of continued on um, from there, and it was just always something that I loved to do. Um, I think because partially because um, just the quality of the music says some like was very um, inspiring to me, and also because the method of making the music is just um, one that really works well for me. It involves. Um, uh, 
approximately equal parts kind of musical inspiration and virtuosity and um, heavy like processing power, like crunching of like crunching numbers and programming and getting the rhythms right and working out loops and adjusting samples. And so just for me, at least the marriage of 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 computers and uh, and music is a very productive uh, is a very productive connection and has just always been one that, that gave me a lot of joy. And to show, uh, to show my unhipness, I mean, what do we, what do we call this? Is this EDM, Electronica? I've heard there, there are all these names. I don't know what's, yeah. what's the correct one. You know, back in the 90s, there was this kind of crazy proliferation of, of electronic music genres, right? So, like, you know, what started in the 80s with, like, house um, and industrial music kind of like blossomed out in the 90s into like house and industrial and drum and bass and jungle and trance and IDM, intelligent dance music. And there were a million, you know, rave, happy hardcore rave, regular hardcore rave. I mean, there was an unbelievable proliferation of of musical genres, all of which kind of, you know, focused on the basic concept of um, heavy rhythms um, repetitive, uh, repetitive synth lines. And, um, you know, for me, I think at this point, I don't really stick to a particular electronic music genre. So for me, I tend to just like lump it all under the category of, of electron, electronic music, some of which is electronic dance music. And some of which I guess probably, um, harkens back a little more toward like the sort of you know, sonic experimentations of bands like Tangerine Dream back in the 70s, right? So for me, I think it's sort of like you can, it's, I tend to lump it all into the big kind of pile of electronica because I don't really feel a need to sort of limit myself to one particular genre, especially because, I mean, you know, I, this is um, something I do, um, um, something that I do hopefully to kind of um, to create a mood in a davening context. And for me, you know, what kind of music I'm doing is hopefully going to be very connected to the kind of mood and the kind of spiritual place that I want to get to in davening. So what's really interesting, especially um, the traditional ways of thinking about davening is something that's very, um, that's very quiet and very soulful. And it, it, it's like, you're in a very quiet environment, there is some singing, but um, how do you mix that with the synthesizing with the bass with the drums how do you how do those go together sure um i think for one thing that when it comes to davening there's that the, there's actually a range of um of social and emotional places that we are in throughout the davening experience right so there's moments for intensely private personal prayer that are built into the uh, into the traditional Jewish prayer service. There's the Amidah, where we are, um, where we often start out reading out loud or speaking out loud together, but we usually end up in a place of silent prayer. You know, there's Tachanun, which is once again a place of silent prayer and reflection. But there's also things like Suge de Zimra, right, which are frequently moments of ecstatic um, communal singing. Um, and, you know, actually, for me, I think this kind of music can serve as an aid for both of those places and everything in between. Um, but it really depends on how you're using it and also, I think, on the personality, right? So for me, um, 
I actually find the, um, for me, one of the most interesting things about, quote unquote, traditional electronic music that, that really draws me in is the sort of repetitive element of a lot of the themes. You frequently have a loop that's being repeated over and over with minor variations. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that, and for many people who have experienced, who experienced that, many people experience that kind of music as somewhat trance-inducing, right? There's there's a reason why an entire genre of electronic music is called trance, right? Um, so I think there's really a way for the music, if selected and played well, to like draw a person into a place of inwardness and reflection. And there's also ways in which the music can like create like group energy where everybody is singing together and really like being like spiritually extroverted and like just like throwing all their energy out there into the universe. So, yeah, I I think that um, that when I use this in a liturgical context, I try to draw a distinction between I try to discern what are the modes, what are the emotional and spiritual modes of each particular phase of the service and what are what if any are the musical supports that can aid that mode of of prayer space i mean there did seem to be like a little bit of an unforgiving aspect of it like there are four beats per minute you know like there's 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 no you know the computer can't sense the mood of the room or slow down or speed up and and you know for people who are not musical is that is that a challenge for 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 keeping up with. No, that's true. And that is something that I've noticed, especially, I mean, at this point, I think very few people are used to using this kind of music in a congregational space. And so there's a little bit of learning that has to be done by the congregation, because as you said, it's very unforgiving rhythmically, right? When you're when this when the prayer leader, when Shliach Tzibur is leading a song, and the only and that's your cue for where we're at like singing then there's tremendous flexibility for the song leader to speed up or slow down or really hold out a note which um can be in tremendously expressive i think for uh for in other ways it can sometimes be um kind of distractive distracting even though unless you're you're on the same wavelength as the leader right because you've got this sort of you've got to follow along with this person up in the front um, with when you're using electronic music though you don't have that option and that's not there that it is um, it's limiting in some respects and I think it's also freeing in some respects it's limiting in the respect that you can't you know you can't slow down the tempo at the end of the song to trail off right you can't um hold a note beyond where the rhythmical structure would you know normally allow for the purposes of emphasis right but on the other hand you've got this sort of like you've got this musical framework right that you can hang your consciousness on and so i find that like davening to this kind of music requires a certain amount of of like, it requires a lot of the same mental process as dancing to this kind of music, right? When you're dancing to dance music, on some level, it, you're going to have, you have to sort of give yourself to the music, right? You have to accept this is the rhythm and internalize that rhythm and this is my rhythm and dance to your rhythm, which is the rhythm that you are hearing. Um, and I think 
if you're able for people who are able when you're able to do that or if you're in a frame of mind where you're able to do that and give yourself to the music it can really transport a person and take them out of themselves and if you are feeling a little disconnected from the music if it's a little weird i don't know about this right then it can be really distracting and feel like wait a minute what's this external thing that's trying to like get in on my rhythm and my my internal beat. So, but I think there's a lot of there's an element of trust there which is which is not dissimilar from the element of from the trust that we invest into the Schliachtzibor, right? That like if I'm really there with the Schliachtzibor, then I kind of give myself to them and I sing along with them and I'm like tuned into their wavelength. And if I'm like really not there, maybe I'm really cranky, didn't have breakfast or whatever and like am not there, then it's it's painful. It's like pulling teeth because I'm not there with the Schliachtzi bore. And I think with this, it's more it's like it's it's that same kind of needing to be there and needing to like give yourself a little bit to the external framework. Um, but the external framework is a little bit more objective. It's a little more like it's computerized, which for some people can be can be, I think, alienating. And for other people, me, um, it can actually be incredibly um organic and beautiful and passionate because there's something like there's something beautiful and passionate about about technology and about how we as humans interface with our technology. I feel like that's also a good uh good point to actually go on to another song that we've had the benefit of listening to as we were setting up today and I think that really um is a good example of what you were saying about um adding that kind of passion and um really beautiful structure that you were talking about so um if you wouldn't mind if you wouldn't mind playing that for us and singing for us as well you get to sing in this one yeah okay cool so yeah so this is um a version of essa Ani that um that i wrote the tune to i i was actually part of the motivation for this is because um the tradition the typical essa Ani that we tend to sing in congregational spaces is a shlomo karlbach melody um, which is a really beautiful melody, and it's not at all surprising that it has caught on and become so powerful and common and widespread. Um, and at the same time, um, Shlomo Karlbach has um, um, there's there's a lot of stuff floating uh, that Shlomo Karlbach comes with his own set of baggage when it comes to, um, for example, people who um, uh, that that you know that that. You know, there were many allegations of him, um, you know, mistreating or even, um, you know, inappropriately, you know, uh, behaving inappropriately toward um, congregants of his. And for people who um, may have experienced that before, um, it can be, I think, triggering, right, to be using melodies that were created and popularized by a person who may have done the sort of things that that, that, that person themselves um, experienced. And so this is sort of, cr I created this as sort of an alternative to the Karlbach melody, um, especially for spaces where I feel the need to be really um, conscious of people who may have experienced abuse at the hands of, um, of, of powerful people in their lives. Um, and also I think it's a really beautiful melody that's, um, um, that's really wonderful to sing. So uh, this is my version of Essa Ani. Thank you. 
that um watching you sing and pressing these buttons on all of these machines it's interesting just how you seem to go into kind of a meditative state as you're doing this and you're yeah. very focused and you're you're very fluid it's it's really fascinating how you're able to combine prayer with such a technical activity yeah um no really and um, I think partially what's going on there is that um, it's the same kind of thing I think comes over me when I'm playing this music as when I'm listening to this music, right? That like for me, um, like even though it like electronic music tends to be very energetic and very powerful and very just like wash over you. But for me, at least, it's a very meditative experience, right? Because it's one of the few things that can really um, just take my soul and bring it to some place, right? And that is really powerful for me and why I wanted to combine that experience with the experience of davening. Um, and I think the other part of it is that, um, you know, I think any musician, when they're playing, um, especially if they play and sing at the same time, has to enter, like, like, at some point enters into a place where they've kind of become one with their instrument. Um, and I think a lot of people tend to think of electronic music in the sense, like, as a very kind of um, 
cold and cerebral way of making music, right? That like that people think, oh, if I were making music with a computer, that like there's no like soul in that. It's very different from if you're playing a guitar. But the actual fact is that when you're playing this kind of music, when I'm playing this kind of music, I I join with my instruments in the same way that I think um, that a guitarist joins with their instrument or a violinist, right? That that you you become connected with this device and it becomes an extension of you and you're able to kind of, um, and I'm able to kind of um, really treat it as a way of me expressing myself, not me like manipulating an external device. It was interesting you, you, you mentioned the word cerebro because I, I feel like... Um... Your, one of your other great passions is is uh, is the study and teaching of Talmud, and mm. I, I feel like that is also sometimes thought of as a, as a as a cerebral and and and, and rigid kind of enterprise. Um, how how do you how do you balance or reconcile this this artist creative side of you with with um, the the side that's that's passionate about Talmud? Hmm. You seem to do a lot of this. I mean. Brit, like even as we're talking about your music and prayer, um, you do you seem to be doing a lot of bridging. It seems like where something that you something very cerebral bridged to something more meaningful. So, um, how do you how do you do that in your Talmud work as well? Well, yeah, and I think um, for me at least, I think on some level, I'm all about bridging in that way. Um, I think that in some respects, what religion is for, and I'm speaking about religion, big capital R, like all religion fundamentally, is about making connections where connections might otherwise be difficult to make. And that can be connections between a person and God. It can be a connection between one person and another person. Um, But it can also be connection between parts of ourselves. Um, So... You know, back in the day when I was, um, when you know, I had just graduated from uh, from the University of Chicago. I had a master's degree in philosophy, and I was um, um, living in Japan. I had this moment of of discovering Judaism, of of reading about Judaism, and finding out about Judaism. And part of what really spoke to me in that moment and and inspired me to look into it further and to eventually convert and go where I am today is precisely the fact that I suddenly realized that it was possible to live in such a way that the abstract critical reasoning part of one's soul and the passionate yearning connect yearning for connection part of one's soul were not oppositional forces constantly tugging against one another this way, that that way, this way, that way. But they actually they could both live in the same house in harmony and be part of the same unified experience. And for me, I think it's that intuition that motivated my becoming Jewish. And it's that intuition which informs the way that I approach, for example, studying Talmud, right? So studying Talmud requires everything from you when it comes to um, when it comes to reasoning when it comes to translation when it comes to interpretation you're using your your critical faculties to the utmost of your of their ability but I think really also it's a spiritual endeavor right it's not something like if you're only bringing your critical faculties to the study of Talmud then um, I mean you know, Talmud is a very high rock. It's going to break you if you don't bring more than your critical self to the text. 
And, um, and so for me, when I'm studying Talmud, when I'm teaching Talmud, I try to emphasize that it's not only a, a, a cerebral exercise, that it's also an exercise of our emotions and our passions and our spiritual and, um, and moral longings and yearnings. And that's why the sages of blessed memory encouraged p- people who were studying the tradition to study in partners and with a teacher. Because there's something that happens in and through studying when you're making a connection with an other that, um, that cannot happen if we're stuck in that sort of self-reflective, critical kind of place. Um, but like when we can do that critical thing in harmony, in connection with another and share those insights together and do the, the, the peel pool, the push and take, the push and pull of, of Talmudic engagement then something happens which is greater than could be achieved simply through emotional spiritual means or through critical cerebral means. Something happens in the synergy between those two things, which is um, which is utterly impossible to achieve by either method alone, and which, in my experience, it comes close to the divine. And you're, you're to the extent we've talked before, your feeling is the vast majority of american jews are 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 missing out you know by by not by not knowing anything about talmud by never having been exposed to it where there's there's all this stuff in there that that they're missing out but how how can they get it because it's 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 like you said uh, it demands so much of you you know intellectually spiritually knowledge wise yeah i mean i think that um that there is a great deal to be gained from engaging with Talmud that I think um, many people in the American Jewish community in our time have not had a chance to really um, get a sense of what there is in Talmud and what benefit that people could have from engaging with Talmud. Um, And I think really one of the issues there is that people tend to think of Talmud as a text, right? As a thing that someone wrote several thousand years ago well, about 2,000 years ago, and which I'm reading what that person said or those people said. Um, But the thing about Talmud is that it's not so much a text just by itself as it's a record of a process, right? The sages were writing down the process of them engaging in debate over what the text meant. And that it's, it's, it's precisely that sort of process of holy debate, which is kind of encoded in the Talmud, which I think we can benefit so much from in our day and age in liberal Judaism today, right? Because we are in a phase of change and transformation that is, um, that in some sense has been accelerating for the past several generations. And really, I think, is at a point where it's we haven't seen this much change and transformation and rupture, really, since... Um, since the time of the classic rabbinic sages. And I think when it comes to figuring out how to react to that ex- ex- that rapid transformation, then engagement with the Talmud is our best model because that's the period of time when we last engaged with this with the same kind of like complete self-reflective overhaul about what it meant to be Jewish. Um, and I think the rabbinic sages give us a powerful model for that. Um, and I think it's unfortunate that we don't have more institutions in America where committed, engaged, liberal Jews can go to get access to the text in, in, 
in a more personal way, where they don't have to rely on their rabbi to bring back, like, this is something from the Talmud, right, where they can actually go to the text themselves. Um, and thank God there's actually places that are, there, there are, there are, there are coming to be institutions where you can get some of that experience, right? So we've got places like Mechon Hadar. Um, you've got um, you've got Svara in Chicago, the the queer Talmud, you know, yeshiva, which is really amazing and doing good work. Um, and you've got places in in Israel, right, like Bina, which is doing amazing work, and also the conservative yeshiva. So there are places now that you can go to learn Talmud and get a taste of that. Um, that unique experience, um, but I think unfortunately not enough. And I think that um, I sometimes feel like it really should be a greater priority for people in 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 our generation to be forming um, not only synagogues and rethinking what synagogues do, but also to be thinking in terms of like, what about the Beit Midrash, right? Like what could we do to create and foster Beit Midrash culture, study house culture in our communities across the country and find therein the sort of the 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 energy and fuel for Jewish renewal and transformation. So um, we're I think pretty soon we're going to have to wrap up a little bit. But um, one question: We're having so much it, fun. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of the things that I I hear and probably experience being um, you know being a Jew living in the world that we're in um, that there's a lot of different barriers that keep people from I mean on the one hand even davening or you know going to going to the synagogue and going into prayer or joining a prayer group and then studying Talmud I mean there's sometimes the sounds of that it almost sounds like if I'm not doing this, I'm not Jewish enough. And um, there's something very intimidating about it. And then people are getting pulled in their many directions in life. Um, how do you suggest or what do you hope even as you go on into your rabbinate that people start connecting with some of these really um, classical but golden pieces of Judaism? You know, I think what I try and always tell people um, to do is start with what you've got. So the great um, Hasidic sage, Rabbi Nachman of Bretzlav, talks about how important it is to, how it's very important to serve God in a variety of ways, right? To, to you know, to operate within the halakha, to engage in prayer, to do all of the things that a Jew is supposed to do. But he says also what you're supposed to do is make some time for yourself every day to like go, to be by yourself and just like pour out your heart to God. Talk to God about everything that you've got and everything that you're carrying with you and all the stuff that's problematic for you and stuff, just the stuff that you're really struggling with. And he says that, that, um, that ultimately, um, even if, like, if you're able to do that, right, if you're able to at least do that thing, then even if you don't know how anything about Jewish observance, even if you don't know anything about Torah, even if you don't, like, do anything Jewish except for that, it's like, that's something and it's a place to start from. And it's, because it's something, it can stand in for and lead into all the rest. And he says, okay, fine, but then what if you don't even have the ability to talk to God? What if you, you stand there before God and you don't know what to say? He says, okay, fine, start from the point of, I don't know what to say, and, pour, and, and, and talk to God about that. And from then, you'll get to the point where you can talk to God. And from then, you can get to the point where you can learn other things and, 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 and diversify your, 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 your practice. But for me, I think there's a really, something really powerful in that about starting with what you've got and with what you know. And 
yes, make yourself a teacher and find yourself somebody to study with. Those are absolutely important to do. But we should never feel as if we don't have enough to bring to the table to get started, right? If you if you want to learn Talmud, then start with what little you know. Find a translation, find a dictionary, do something, right? Start with what you know, If you want, with what you have. If you want to make electronic music and you don't have anything, do something. Do you have a phone? Get an app that makes little funky sounds, right? Get a tape recorder. Do something, right? Find something that you can make noise with and make noise, joy, make a joyful noise, right, with what you've got. And from that, you can build, right? But if but the, the thing that holds us back is precisely feeling like I don't have enough to start. And if 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 there's one thing that I want to teach people in this world, it is that we always have enough to start. Well, thank you so much for, first of all, being on our first podcast and coming in and sharing your music with us. Thank you. Historical and moment, really. It, it really is. This is a This is a big moment for us. I'm floored. I'm going to be pondering this for some time. <laughs> <laughs> some and, real life lessons in there. And and that's also a great lesson to carry forward, especially as we're living in this world where people are struggling with, you know, religion. What is this about to start somewhere? So um, so we're going to so we're going to say goodbye. But Leia is going to play one more song for us. Very fitting I think usually at the end of every you know big moment in Judaism I think the Adon alum I, I'm pretty honored we get it we get an Adon alum after this yeah we get yeah this is like yeah we we, we, we started with Ma Tovu and we're gonna end with Adon alum I feel like throwing in Amidah there somewhere and we're, we're set so we, <laughs> we pretty we we just hosted a, a prayer service I think I, I think so we did it. <laughs> so I think um, maybe maybe we can become rabbis too, Brian. I hear there's a little bit of work involved. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to end us off, we're going to pass the mic over to you as well as your synthesizer and your drum machine. All right. And thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you.